Let's pray together. As our holy God, Father, we know that you've called us to holy living. And so as we turn our attention to your instruction from your word, I pray that our hearts would be inclined to respond and submit to what you have for us. Lord, it is to our advantage personally to live in ways that you have called us to to be families that represent your goodness, your kindness, your compassion, your patience, your forgiveness, your sacrificial love. And it is our responsibility as well to represent you in this world where families are broken and fractured and chaotic. May ours represent an entirely different orientation. For our identity is in Christ and his glories. And so I pray, Father, that you would bless your word to our hearts this morning. For your honor and glory's sake, I pray. Amen. So in light of all that we have just spent time learning over the last several weeks from this great letter to the Colossians, We've learned about moral responsibilities and social ethics. Last week we learned what kind of swag we should have on. Pastor Kelvin, I learned a new thing this week. Our clothing should be seriously drip. We should have the excellence of Christ on us. We should be drip. So in light of all of that stuff that we have learned, the vital way to live, how does a Christian home live? Would you open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3, verses, we're going to start at 17 through to chapter 4, verse 1. What does it look like? to be a Christian husband, to be a Christian wife, to be a Christian parent, to be a Christian child, to follow principles of good economic relationships to connected people and Christian families. Well, Alexander Tolstoy, Tolstoy in his novel that is 150 years old, roughly, Anna Karenina, leads with this first line in his novel, which is, of course, about marriage breakdown and forbidden love, and not a Christian book, but it has a great opening line. Happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching in this text right here. In domestic life, you can go God's way and have a happy family life, or you can choose and manufacture a thousand different ways to make yourself unhappy. And that's the lay of the land that we have now. That's, that's the way it is now. People manufacturing all kinds of different ways to be unhappy. And God continues to call us back to this one model, his design, his way, 
If there's ever a time, I think you'll agree with me, for people to model the alike of the happy family, it is now. People are so unhappy. They are so fractured. They're so broken. Families are so chaotic. People working in the the business of children know full well how messed up home life really is in these days. God calls us to something better, something bigger and better. Christ makes things better. He simply does. And you know, I've been on the front line of family war and peace now for 36 years, and I can tell you that you can debate this stuff, you can critique God's word, you can complain about it, but God's way of domestic life wins every single time. It is the way to live. It is the way to avoid heartbreaks and misery. And it calls for all of us in the family. It's not just one member of the family serving the Lord with all their heart. It calls for every single one of us in whatever role, whatever station in life we're called to. However God has placed us in the family, it calls for every one of us to do our part, to contribute our part to a passion for Christ that works itself out to how we treat one another. And so everything we've learned about how we are to treat people really finds its first and fullest meaning in our family life. That's, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? The rubber of Christian virtues hits the road of real life in families. It's, it's all theological theory until it's actually applied in real life. And the most real of real life is in the house. It's in the family. When all the masks are off and all the filters are dropped, that's real life. Can we, do we, will we, must we live God's way in our home? And I would submit to you that Happy families are all alike. They live by this text. I almost feel like praying again. Lord, please help us. Please help us. So let's look at the text, shall we? I really think that... um, It's important to start at verse 17 because 17 swings us nicely into the section because all that goes before it is summarized in 17 and then now you're moving into the so what of the family life and I have no idea why the chapter division is chapter 4 verse 1 since it ties in with chapter 3 but we'll have to take that up a 400 500 years ago when that was done. Here we go. And whatever you do, would that include family life? I think it would. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, 
Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God. In very, very short, question, short statements, the Apostle Paul packs a profound punch into our family life. And it's enough. Each of these statements are enough to energize your family through the Holy Spirit with enrichment and peace, compassion and kindness, and growth in Christ. And I I would submit to you that there's a phrase right in the middle of the section here that I think encompasses the whole tone of what we're looking at here. And that is found in verse 22, where it says, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's what this is entirely based upon. With sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That sets up each of the calls on our life in the placement where God has called us. Now before we dig into this um, further, I want to make sure we know why Christian marriage and domestic life should be and is different. Because this is in a context. You, you You can't start at verse 18 in a vacuum. God's word is never supposed to be looked at in a vacuum. It must be, it is embedded, and therefore we have to teach it in an embedded way, or we won't fully embrace and understand the idea of sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. We simply won't. And and so we need some presuppositions, some ideas in advance that are settled in our heart before we dive into this. Where it will feel foreign to us. It, it will lack the, the spirit, Holy Spirit zing that it needs to have for us to be motivated to move in this direction. So let me, let me just give you a quick summary of the things that we've really learned or we've learned theologically together that help to set the table for what we're going to be called to do. Otherwise, it'll be difficult for us. Domestic life is part of a bigger universal drama that God himself, based on creation and new creation design, is intended for his glory. And unless we embrace that and understand that this is the wisdom of God displayed in the design of the creator and maker, it will feel for it. If you walk out in the street and just simply take verse 18 and start throwing it around at people, or verse 19, throwing it around at people, they will reject it. They are rejecting it. 
the chaos that we see around us is because it lacks the theological presuppositions that we believe in, that are near to our heart, that, that mean something to us. The, the, our vision, if it's trapped in four walls of our house, is simply too small. We rob ourselves of the real joy, the real profound joy, when our universe is, is, is of momentous stature, of, of divine proportions. So we've learned that Christian members of families have died to self. You can't move through this text unless you start there. You won't embrace this. Christian members of families have died with Christ and therefore died to themselves with Christ to a new way of living. You simply can't do domestic, healthy life if it's about you. You cannot. Every marital squabble that I referee as a pastor over all of these years has been a squabble for self. Every single one, without exception. God's creation design is to give form to the unformed and fill the unfilled from the very beginning. God is a God of structure, roles, placement. These are not bad things. These are good design things. Power, structure, and roles are not the enemy of the family unit. The abuse of power and chaos are. The battle of domination and subtle or not so subtle manipulation is what Christian marriage is intended to reverse. Who will be in charge? Who will dominate? Who will manipulate to dominate? In Christian domestic living, the powerful are presented duties to protect the powerless. And the powerless are granted rights that require responsibilities. This is God's design. We'll see this unfold before us as we dig in. Christian domestic life is about the faith formation family and what actually happens through renewed hearts and transforming, the transforming work of God in our lives. God's chosen, holy, dearly loved people in a family where Christian virtues go to excel or to die. God's grace and Christ's lordship motivate us and obligate each person in one's unique, God-determined placement in a family. I had nothing whatsoever to do with the place I take up in my family. Nothing whatsoever to do with it. None of us have. God has placed us exactly where he wants us to be and who he wants us to be. To live out our dead to self life and alive to Christ, family life. Not what I can get from my family, but what I can give to my family. These are entirely opposite values 
to the values of the secular, to the values of the godless. Sadly, too often, to the values of those who claim to know Christ. But these, beloved, these are our core values. These are what has been picked up in this letter, this text, and throughout the scriptures, from the start of the book to the end of the book. These are granted to us what it means to be in family. Family life is an act of disciple-making. We start first there. Go and make disciples. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, it starts in the family. Family is a disciple-making operation. That's what we do with baby dedication here at, at Calvary. We remind parents. We remind the church. These little lives that have been entrusted to you, this is your first line of disciple-making. We honor God by maximizing our impact for Christ on how we apply his will for my role in his salvation plan and how I live it out in my family. Our lives are not our own. We are called, called to be living sacrifices. So what does it look like? You're saying, okay, so let's, let's go. What does it look like to, to, to be a Christian wife, to be a Christian husband, to be a Christian child, to be a Christian parent, a Christian father, a Christian servant, a Christian master? What does it look like raised with Christ to set our hearts on above things? What does that look like? By the way, Paul's ancient context when he was writing this, from the context wherein he was writing this, that, that the husband or man was the supreme ruler over the family. In the context he wrote, it was a man-centered culture. A wife was simply property. A wife was a shadow like a chair. That's the context he wrote in. You need to understand the reforms that are going on here in this text because of Christianity. We need to understand the reforms that have taken place in our world because of Christianity. Human rights are inaugurated by Christianity. You're going to see that as we move, our, move through this. We have moved from a man-centered culture in the time of Paul to a self-centered culture in our own day. That's the shift. So it's gone from community oppression to community chaos, which is oppressive as well, as opposed to Christian community, Christianity, which brings community peace and mission. It's an entirely different society we're talking about in Christianity. This is a huge upgrade that God is calling us to, an immense upgrade. So, so what is my duty then at, to the alive to Christ, dead to self mission and worldview that, that you and I gratefully represent? Listen to me. This is how equality of personhood because make no mistake about it, in our personhood, regardless of our gender, our personhood before God is equal. But this is how our equality of personhood 
and different roles and different power is to be shaped in family units that form the church of equal souls, the family of God. We, we must not lose sight that our healthy, godly families functioning biblically are the core reality of the family of God, how the church operates together. In this gathering of equal souls, because that's who we are, equal souls before God, different roles, different responsibilities, different placement, how do we take that equality of personhood, of value to God, and in harmony, self-give to one another? That's what this is. And, and as families do it well, churches are strengthened. Strong churches, the strongest churches, are made up of strong families, are made up of godly families. Why is this? Because we are dead to self in favor of alive to Christ. And, and unless, we can, unless we can embrace that, we are going to struggle in the home. We're going to struggle in the church. We do struggle. These instructions, so I just want to look at three quick instructions in the basic unit of the home as recognized by the maker of humans, God himself. What does a dead-to-self family live like from the vantage point of different placements? So the first of these sectors is this. One, husbands and wives are to be self-giving. The overruling over principle of this is regardless of what placement you have in the home, husband or wife, you are called to be self-giving first. If you master this by the power of the Holy Spirit, not one of your pastors here will ever see a marriage dispute again. I'm serious, really. I am dead serious. Well, I'm alive serious. I'm dead to self, alive to Christ serious. <laughs> we won't be out of a job, though. We have lots of other things to do. This is a reversal of the curse, beloved. What we're talking about here with husbands and wives is a, is a direct reversal of what happened in the original fallenness of sin, the curse itself, which was damaged. The husband-wife relationship was damaged by sin, which has carried through throughout. And in our coming to Christ and transforming work of Christ in our lives, it, it first and foremost reverses the curse on marriage because of sin to make our marriages now holy pleasing to God, sincere from the heart, reverence to the Lord. That's what happens in, in salvation. In Genesis 3.16, the wife and the husband began to be in conflict rather than care for one another. The wife's desire was to overrule her husband, and the husband's desire was to rule over his wife harshly. That's a, this is a complete reversal of that. That's what Christianity is. 
Your natural man, the flesh that, that Jesus took to the cross and crucified, circumcised that natural flesh, was the um, energy ruining your marriage. And to the degree that you allow that to continue and to, to nurture it, your marriage will be ruined. But as you embrace this of what God has for you and turn conflict into care, taking into self-giving, your marriage will excel. Now, remember I said to you, now, by the way, a, bio, a marriage is a biological female at birth and a biological male at birth who come together and are qualified to be in a marriage. Just want to make sure we agree and understand that foundation. In Paul's day, as I said to you, so let's start with the wives, because the Bible starts with the wives. Ladies first. I think as ladies read this, they say, could, could I go second? Because I really like what it says about my husband. So I framed the statements as if you're going second. You'll see. In Paul's day, women were just property. And they were called to obey. This is not a call to obedience. This is a call to willing yieldedness. What God is calling wives to is to willingly yield to the leadership of their husband from your heart. Because you can obey and it not be from your heart. God is calling wives because of the required sacrificial love of your husband. Remember I said I was going to talk about what's coming and put it in the front end. Because you are required to be sacrificially loved. Keep on, present tense, keep on willingly yielding to the good structural order your husband provides to your home. The call here is to care about the burden the husband carries as leader, responsible, protector, and provider of the family. And ladies, you couldn't know this, but it is an immense burden to be called upon to be the protector, provider for the family and make the right calls for your family. And God is saying to you ladies that you can help this burden to be lessened and helped by willingly yielding to the leadership of your husband. This is a demonstration of female discipleship that God deems fitting and proper. Do you see in the text? And do as is fitting or proper in the Lord. To make leadership possible and successful and easier. This attitude of the heart, which is what it is, it's an actual transformation of attitude, an attitude of the heart that willingly inclines to yield. Adorns the gospel. It is a ministry. 
and properly reflects a Christian female heart which is willing to, to yield. Christian women do not take their cues from a culture of bitter women reacting to the abusive behavior of sin-addicted men. That's a problem. Our problem is our culture is filled with sin-addicted men abusing women. And therefore, our culture has no recourse. They don't have a Christian recourse. They don't have a Holy Spirit. Our cultural, the women of our culture have no recourse but to react against the abuse of sin-addicted men. God is calling Christian marriages to not have to do that. And we're going to see what the, the husband's requirement and responsibility is. But in a Christian context, a Christian family, we don't take our cues from the world. And regardless, regardless, we willingly, wives, we willingly voluntarily place ourselves in subjection to your husband because it is proper in the Lord. Our situation, willed by God, is to set up women to be dearly loved. I, I don't know how other to say this than I hope, I hope that you women today realize how dearly loved you are by Christ in how he has framed this. How Christ seeks to ensure that precious women who he died for are dearly loved and taken care of. It is core to the heart of Christ. And he holds men accountable for that. So I'm sure the question arises, what happens if my loyalty to Christ through this Christian conduct is not only not appreciated by my husband, but is turned against me abusively, what then? Let me just say this. If the context is dangerous, then the Christian woman should seek protection, particularly in the house and the family of God, and the men that are appointed to watch over the family of God. But that woman should also know that her commitment to Christ and his ways are recognized by Christ as her act of self-giving to him and are rewarded, if not now, forever. Husbands, this is a radical call to change on, from Paul's day, certainly. As Donald Carson rightly notes, there are no ancient documents whatsoever calling on a man to love his wife, except for the Bible. Do you realize that? 
there are no ancient documents that have called for this. Husbands, because you are to receive voluntary submission, sacrificially love that gift through responsible, accountable leadership of the home. This is a call on a husband, a decision to love willingly and to be willing to pay the ultimate price of his own life for the sake of his wife. Now, I know you've heard it many, many times, ladies, but I, it bears repeating. This is the expectation on a husband in the home. Surely it's not difficult for a wife to voluntarily yield to a husband who is that committed to the Lord that his passionate love for his wife is to the death of him. That's what this death to self is all about. The husband is to model this. The husband is called to model this entirely in his life. Whatever it takes to love her, as Christ loves the church, that's what the husband's called to do. And, and it's interesting here, and he adds on this, and do not be harsh with them, but really it's, it's questionable which way you translate this. In fact, I prefer the translation that says, and do not allow yourself to become bitter toward her, which will lead to harsh treatment toward her. And, and here's what's going on here. This is how sacrificial a husband is called to be. Now, I know this doesn't happen, none of you will, none of you guys are going to admit this is happening in your home, but should your wife be trying at times or testing at times your patience? Guys are just sitting stone faced looking at me. No one's willing to blink. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's great. Um, should she drive you crazy? You must not allow yourself to become impatient and irritated and bitter toward her because then you will treat her with harshness. And we are, we, that is not self-giving love to treat your wife harshly. And this must not this, this husband, this Christian husband, must not make a habit of nagging his wife or constantly finding fault with her, which perpetuates the friction in the family. It is the husband's call to diffuse that. Parents, Second, parent-child relationship to be respectfully healthy. I can work through this a little more quickly. If we get the, the husband-wife thing right, we're gonna get the parenting and we're gonna get the parenting right. But remember this, children. This is, it's good like a come sit with me day. This is perfect, Pastor Daniel up there. Children. I know senior highs don't like to be called children, but... Because you are to be treated by your father with just nurture, keep on listening and obeying for your own protection. By the way, children, this is not looking for a willing, 
voluntary yieldedness from children? No. It's obey your parents. There's a lot of reasons for that, not the least of which is it will help you avoid graduating from the school of hard knocks because you think you know everything and you know virtually nothing. And when you get to be about 29, you'll realize, you know what, I knew nothing. And so, I love you, but you know nothing. And training begins from the womb, and obedience is necessary for your protection because a nurturing father is there to protect you. And it says here, do you notice, in everything. No buffet of obedience. Well, I like what dad says about this, but I don't like what dad says about that. Sorry. And why? Regardless of the way your father is treating you, because it pleases the Lord. We're calling about a Christian family. We're calling about children who've come to know the Lord. We're talking about their mission and their ministry. Every member of the family is in ministry. Every single member. Husband, wife, children. We're all in ministry in our family, disciple-making and being discipled. And healthy, happy children get that. It pleases the Lord. Fathers, because they are powerless... And they depend on you. Do not use your power to crush their will or their spirit. Fathers can do so much damage. There may be many people in here who've been incredibly damaged by a father. Fathers damage people. They damage their children very easily. It's, a, it's an important office to be father. You're standing in as a representative of the living God. These children that you have are a gift from God. It says that everywhere in the scriptures. They are actually God's children. You're, you're being entrusted with the stewardship of humans who belong to God. It's a serious and a sober responsibility. And man, if you need to fix some things, and you need to fix it right now, because these kids are God's gift to you. Constantly belittling them or shaming them or criticizing them or being arbitrary about your decisions or harsh with them or unjust to them will drive your children away from you and probably the Lord as well. Rather, honor their, honor their respect with justice and encouragement so they'll grow up to be responsible living kids and ro young people and robust in their faith for the Heavenly Father, in the Heavenly Father, because you impact their trust in God. Again, I can't tell you how many times we've had counseling, I've had counseling uh, situations where a person has come in and said, I have a very difficult time interacting with the living God because I had such a terrible time interacting with my father. I, I've heard that repeated times. There must be something to it. Men, what an awesome privilege it is to be a father and what an awesome responsibility it is. And then to be a grandfather 
grandfathers get just to encourage. I'm going to quickly go over the master-servant thing because we've, we've, this, was, this was a different setting than what we use for employee-employer relationships. This was, a, this was a, a domestic situation where there were servants in the house. In some cultures, that still exists, but it doesn't tend to exist much in our culture. We share, or theoretically, we share in the service of the house. Husbands, wives, doing different things, usually. But there's an, there's an economic principle win-win situation here that I think is worthy of us looking at. Master-servant relationships are to advantage each other. If you see what the text is saying here, servants, because you are to be treated with what is right and fair. Do you, do you notice, masters here in verse, chapter 4, verse 1 says, treat your servants with what is right and fair. So let, let's take the principles here and apply them to the workplace. The reason that in that day, there, there weren't manufacturing and industry and you didn't have employees and stuff. The Industrial Revolution was still several thousand years away. Most people were sole proprietors or farmers or, you know, they, they were tradespeople. They, they were, the, the master-servant thing was in the house primarily, or they were government officials. So, but, but there's, there's principles that apply to the workplace. The, the idea of eye service and man pleaser. You know, how, how you as an employer to be valuable to your, to the, the person who owns the business and, and valued because of how you act. Treat your employer with respect and, and, and with productive service. That, that's what a Christian should do in the workplace. That's how we should be. Not with eye service so that we need to be supervised like other people. Not as men pleasers so that we're only productive when the, when the boss is watching us, which is phony productivity. But we should, be the best, we should be the best employees wherever we are. That's what we're called to do because we're really working for the Lord. You see what it says in the text? You're, you're out of reverence for the Lord because whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You're working for the Lord. Who, wherever you serve, wherever you're a servant, you're working for the Lord. So let's understand that. And masters, because you are to be rewarded by the, the, the service of Christian servants with excellence and productive service, reward them. Reward that kind of worthy work with gratitude, right and fair treatment. Because by the way, if you are the master, if you are the owner of an economic situation, you have a master in heaven who is over you, who is watching you, who takes note of your standards of justice, your standards of what is right, your standards of what you think is fair, your standards of what you think is a reward. And he rewards you in kind. And this is how power speaks to human rights. The master had ultimate power then, but he, in Christianity, this was entirely transformed that the master would offer rights to servants who were otherwise had no rights whatsoever. And likewise, as having no rights whatsoever, they felt no obligation to be productive for their master. 
So Jesus sets down economic principles here that, that is a win-win. The, the employer is rewarded for his productive service. The owner is rewarded for having productive service and being fair and right in his treatment. And, and God sets up this wonderful standard. Christian, Christianity therefore inaugurated human rights that advantaged both parties. The present form of human rights is generally used to disadvantage someone else. And the whole order of social justice today is neither social nor just. But this is, this is, if, the, if every workplace, if every place of, of power and powerlessness were to operate with this kind of balance, people would be treated Wonderfully, but it's not. Rights are used now basically to overrule what is right too often. So, beloved, there it is. We need to wrap it up, but all of this is a gift of our emancipating salvation that frees us to enjoy right living in the roles that are purposed for us by our loving Father if nothing else sticks in your memory or in your heart, please remember this. You and I have been saved to a life of self-giving, no longer self-taking. If in every one of your community situations, in your families, in your domestic life, in your relationships with one another, if it is always self-giving, and never self-taking, you are modeling Christ's vision of family life to the glory of God. Our Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the challenge of this. But Lord, you've not left us with just instructions, but you've granted to us the power of the Holy Spirit resident in our hearts that we might incline to respond to your teaching and benefit in our lives from the domestic joy and richness of peace with God through Christ Jesus and his instructions to us. Oh, may it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The free-for-all family of our culture is flying apart. But what was noticed is that the early teachings of the Apostle Paul did not unravel domestic life of his day. It upgraded it. It became noticeable and desirable. People wanted it. People wanted to know Christ and what he could do in their homes and families. And that's what Christian homes can do today. Christian homes on mission, in ministry, are a beacon for the gospel of Jesus Christ that people desperately are looking for in their broken lives, and their broken families. They're looking for something that works, and Christianity works. Sadly, the secular playbook, the modern domestic playbook, starts at self. But the domestic playbook of Christianity begins with Christ and death to self and results in enriching, growing, nurturing lives that become productive, and make a difference and an impact in our world. So 
wherever you've come off the rails a little bit on, from this teaching, I would encourage you today to make this a day of adjustment between you and the Lord and between you and your family and make the corrections necessary from this point forward. You know what corrections need to be made. And you know that you have the strength of the Holy Spirit to do it. So, beloved, let's upgrade our domestic relationships God's way. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for this, your word. Implant it in our hearts. Bless it to our lives. And Lord, I pray that our families may reflect your glory and your honor. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.